Before we begin, I wanted to put a disclaimer out there. If you couldn't tell by the title, this episode deals with pornography and pornography addiction. Although the episode is not explicit in nature and done in a tasteful and helpful manner, I wanted to be upfront to give you, the listener, the option to listen further. That being said, if you're someone struggling with pornography addiction or any addiction in general, I believe that my guest, Joshua Shea, has an honest story that you should hear. And if you're looking for help but don't know who to ask or where to go, or maybe you're too ashamed to ask, then this episode is definitely for you. Estimates vary in the amount of revenue that is actually generated through pornography. The lower estimates say it's around $6 billion to a mid-estimate of about $15 billion a year. That's in the U.S. alone, and that was in 2018. That's a number that's certainly climbed at the height of the pandemic. Then there's Kasia Wozik, I hope I said that right, assistant professor of sociology at New Mexico State University, who believes that in 2015, pornography accumulated $97 billion in revenue globally. The reason the estimates vary is that the industry is run by private enterprises that don't need to produce corporate profits for things like shareholders. So in essence, they can fluctuate wildly. But let's take a look at some of the U.S. entertainment industry revenue estimates from 2018. When you look at the NBA, we're at $7.4 billion, and then it goes up to $11.1 billion for Hollywood. Netflix is at $11.7 billion, Viacom $13.3 billion, and the NFL at $14 billion. So that means pornography, at its lowest estimate of $6 billion in revenue in 2018, is really just a hair away from well, i shouldn't say hair 1.4 billion is a lot but the point is it's not far under the nba and if you take it at its mid estimate it actually grosses more than nfl football at 15 billion dollars so that's a lot to take in and like the aforementioned revenue streams studies on pornography seem to vary more widely than you'd expect According to a study on aggression and sexual behavior in best-selling pornography videos, this is a study where 304 scenes were analyzed. The researchers found that 88.2% contained physical aggression, principally spanking, gagging, and slapping, while 48.7% of scenes contained verbal aggression, primarily name-calling. Perpetrators of this aggression were usually male, whereas the targets of the aggression were overwhelmingly female. Targets most often showed pleasure or responded neutrally to the aggression. Then there's the flip side of that. In other studies, including one supported by researchers at Queensland University of Technology and published in the Australian Journal of Communication, shows that pornography has actually helped increase tolerance towards sexualities, including possibly having a positive outlook on one's own sexuality. That same study also found that pornography had helped partners become more open when discussing sex in long-term relationships. So the point is that pornography has had a huge cultural impact on our society in a relatively short amount of time since the advent of the internet. And we can argue its merits that perhaps it has opened up our eyes or reduced certain stigmas surrounding sexuality, but it has also helped alter our reality and understanding of sexuality. I enjoyed this discussion a lot. Number one, because Josh is a, an intelligent, funny guy, but most importantly, an honest man talking about himself in ways that most people wouldn't. 
And this courage comes from the fact that he wants to use his story to help. And he also opened my eyes a bit. I, I was wondering how pornography pervaded and, and ingrained itself in our society. But Josh, to his credit, taught me that it doesn't really matter. Pornography is here now. And for those who have become addicted and the generation behind it, we need to learn how to set those healthy boundaries and talk about it openly. Anyway, I hope you enjoy The Joshua Shea with Jay Burke Show. Hello and welcome to the With Jay Burke Show. My name is Jason Burke, and though I'm technically the host of this podcast, it's the guests who truly take top billing. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Joshua Shea. Josh is an author, educator, and speaker on the topic of pornography addiction and a certified betrayal trauma coach. His third book, Porn in the Pandemic, How Three Months in 2020 Changed Everything, was released in July 2020. Josh, you like going by Josh? I didn't ask you before the break. It's fine. You can call me whatever you want. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for coming by and uh, take an hour or so to talk to us. I got to tell you, Jason, when I got your request and then you told me that you were East Coast, I recognized that there was a teacher I had in high school named Jason Burke. We called him Mr. Burke because he made us, but mm -hmm. his name was Jason Burke and we didn't like him. And for just a moment, I was going to put the joke down. Hey, I'll I'll absolutely do your show as long as you're not Mr. Burke from school. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, my God, what if this is Mr. Burke from <laughs> school? I'm going to seem like an absolute you know d bag thirty years later, <laughs> saying no, I won't talk to you. So I I was just I said, okay, I'll do this, and fingers crossed that there's one more Jason Burke than this guy on the East Coast. And uh, th thankfully, you're not him. So I don't have to fake a smile and not bring up several incidents that I would like some clarity over. I was going to say, you must have been, when you're about to click on the on the Zoom, must have been like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, well, no. So if this is Mr. Burke, this is not going to go well. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah. Mr. Burke. That's uh, that's too bad that there's Jason Burke's given bed. And you know what? He's not a Gen X Jason Burke, so like we were talking about. True, so. and you know, and 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 for all the other Joshua Shays out there, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll be the I'll be the Mr. Shay to the, the Mr. Burke. Uh, I'm sorry. There's there's some poor kid who's a who's a child actor with my name, and I know if you go like onto YouTube or you go onto Google and you Google our name. You get a lot of this kid, and you get a lot of me. And I can only imagine what it's like being <laughs> between the two. actor or actress and uh, having a name of somebody that, oh, my, you know, this kid, he's probably 20 now. Um, and he is just like, oh, my God, you look up him, and it's all <laughs> his great work, and then just an amazing amount of pornography discussion. <laughs> I keep waiting for, like, his people to, like, offer me a bunch of money to change my name yeah. um, to, so he can keep going with it. But uh, until then, I'm going to keep doing it. Well, maybe he's going around the circuit just trying to use that as his story, <laughs> you well, know, his story in Hollywood. Idea, you know, they, they, he could he – could, if they pay me off, then I'm going to pick a better name next time, somebody more famous with That's more true. money. That's true. 
and I'll just keep uh, I'll just keep being famous names. Brad know, Pitt and his sexual I'll, 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 I'll somebody who's trying to do some good in the world. Yeah, I'll I'll take their name, and then they'll be like, "Oh my god, I can't have this guy associated with me. <laughs> Let's pay him off." And then just keep doing that. Yeah, you know what? It's an inventive way to uh, to get ahead. But there's yeah, there's yeah. plenty of that in this world, right? No, oh, no kidding. No kidding. Which brings us probably to the internet. But um, I was going to say, I, I, I did find you, and I did find that Joshua Shea first, because IMDb pops up first right. thing. So, But the, I did uh, I did my detective work, and I, I got to the bottom of the case. So uh, Scooby, Scooby-Doo would have been proud of me. No, that's good. That's so, good. As long as you didn't, just as long as you didn't take one of those Scooby snacks. No, no. Out, never found out what was in those. I don't admit to anything. Uh, <laughs> so you're from Lewiston, Maine. And I saw I that you were in the area. I live right. I still live in the area. Yep. So I saw you were uh, you were in journalism. What for 17 years? You started for your hometown. Uh, yeah, to put fine line of what journalism is. I I, I ran several magazines for a while that weren't exactly the hardest hitting stories, but I was a legit journalist for writer for 16 17 years and then uh the last six or seven years of that career was mostly publishing and editing and then after i got into recovery um before i started doing all of the recovery stuff i worked as a freelance writer and ghost writer for a little while um, from home while I worked on my first book, while I did the research, while I was in early recovery, because I don't know during early recovery if I could have kept up the pace um, and kept the focus that I do now. Because I'm, uh, as you and I are talking, I am one week away from eight years of pornography addiction recovery, wow. and I'm only about three weeks away from eight years of alcohol recovery. So, a uh, couple of big dates coming up here. So you took on both at basically the same time. Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, when you, I, I went to rehab first for alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And when you're in rehab, it's a lot like house arrest. You can probably get your hands on some contraband porn. But I was in such a shock, I think, of being in rehab itself that I stopped using porn. And then when my uh, when my caseworker started to bring up the idea that maybe you have a pornography addiction too, because we talked about that very early. And I didn't even know it was a real thing at that point. I thought that my pornography use, while I understood I use pornography differently than most people, I thought that it was mainly just a bad decision I made when I was drunk because those two things largely went together. Going back to me being 12, 13, 14 years old, those two things always went together. Um, So when I was confronted with the idea that, wow, you actually also have pornography addiction. um, And it was, I, I met with a certified sex addiction therapist off campus from the rehab I was at in California. And uh, he helped me to really understand that it was a real thing. I also had it. And at that point, it was when uh, I when I got to that rehab that I count that as the uh, I, I I just ended up realizing that, you know, he was right. And before I went to that rehab, I quit that first. 
and then ended up uh, obviously quitting the alcohol too. But ironically, I had to show up at, at uh, rehab drunk um, or technically detox mm -hmm. if my insurance company was going to cover a bigger par portion of rehab i had to show up and blow drunk on their breathalyzer during intake so that's really why i didn't quit both on the same day was because i had to blow drunk to get into rehab at a better price so does do they not cover or do they just they cover a lesser amount of, of they cover less well they they cover they look at it as detox and rehab and they look at where are you as far as critically needing it and if you show up at rehab i guess not drunk and saying you need help for being a drunk well you don't clearly need as much help as if you showed up and were hammered i i guess that's wild i don't know if it's liability i i don't know what it is at all but you could tell the professionals and the people who had been to rehab before because i was told this from uh from uh somebody who had been to rehab before i wouldn't have known and when i was there you could tell the people who showed up and knew what they were doing because they showed up drunk um and uh and, and they knew that they had to blow blow uh, over a point oh eight California to be uh, legally drunk and have more of it covered by insurance. That's <laughs> that's so interesting because all I can think is telling myself, well, it's one last big bender before I uh, get into. Well, it, it is, but you're also flying across. I was flying across the country that day, oh. um, so it was like I kept in an airport you know you're spending ten dollars for a beer then on a plane you're spending twelve dollars mm -hmm. and the last time i had anything to drink uh was about a quarter mile from my rehab it was in the parking lot of the laguna beach uh liquor store at like 11 30 at night and uh on uh uh March 31st or April 1st. I'm not exactly sure if it was past midnight or not. Mm. So I count April 1st as my sober date from alcohol. Uh, and then it was 10 days earlier from uh, from pornography. So I'm coming up on eight years here. It's uh, if and, and the last time I was eight years sober, uh, the last time I had gone eight years without pornography, you're going back to me being five and six years old. Wow. Uh, and you know, five years old up to twelve, or five years old up to fourteen, or whatever it was, uh, that would be the last time that I had that much sobriety time in a row. It was before I started using the first time. So you were introduced to pornography at a very early age. I was. Uh, I believe that I was a porn addict the moment I saw it. I believe I was a porn addict before I even saw it, and it was just that it matched up, and. Uh, you know, people talk about their some of their porn addictions taking a while uh, to develop. Mine wasn't like that. Mine was when my older cousin showed me a couple of hardcore magazines. It immediately did something to me. It was just like it. I have heard heroin addicts talk about when they use early on, they get this warm feeling flow through them. That's what I felt. I remember it distinctly. And I remember it distinctly also because it happened a second time. It happened that 
the first time I got really drunk at a wedding when I was 14 years old. I felt that same rush of warmth. And it was like, oh, this is why people do this. I feel better. This is a lot like the porn. This makes me feel better. I don't worry about my life. I don't worry about other people. I don't worry about how I'm seen. And really from 12, 13 years old, straight up to when I got into recovery at 37, um, or at 38 actually, um, I could count on porn. I could count on alcohol. I couldn't count on anything else, whether I was married or single, whether I was in school or starting my career, it didn't matter what happened between, you know, 14 and 37 that those were the two things that no matter where I was in my life, I could count on and I knew were, were going to be there for me. Can't count on people like that. Can't count on mother nature like that but you can count on your addictive behavior to always be there for you. Which is funny because when I, I was doing some research uh, for this topic, that sounds terrible when I think about it, but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, it's fun actually, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, you know what? I was just reading up on, on some things and I ended up on a Quora page or wherever where people were talking about, um, uh, pornography it was actually i was trying to see the reason why the laws kind of protect it so much you know especially since me and you grew up and the fcc you know regulated the television stations pretty pretty strictly um but the internet was able to just keep going which is which is another story but somebody had mentioned i guess it just went off into some conversation and somebody said porn was his therapy it was if he had a bad day i can i can look at porn if i had a fight with my girlfriend or my wife i look at porn and then i just kind of feel better or um just anything he just said it, it it was like a way of of washing away whatever feeling was was under there so just when you were mentioning that's what it it reminded me of when i was when i was looking at it yeah and i I can tell you that my alcohol use was very much about dulling my nerves Mm -hmm. and just kind of uh tuning out dissociating my pornography really was about control and in talking to all of the guys that I that I uh, coach now, it, there's always an aspect of control in there because when you think about it, the people on the screen are never going to say no to you. And the people on the screen are never going to say, hey, take the trash out or hey, you're late to work or no, I don't feel like having sex tonight, or daddy, can you build this toy for me? Or whatever it is, you know, you excuse yourself probably from the area, you go and you sit down and you are the the sexual dictator of your own universe. And if you don't like what you're looking at, you click the button and you get something new. And if you don't like that, you click the button and you get something new and you are totally in control. And if I, when I was in uh, rehab and we did an exercise that I looked over my timeline of my life and those times that I felt the most out of control, those times where I felt like other people were running my life or I couldn't get my stuff together, 
those are the times where you see the most pornography use because it was a way of almost fooling myself into believing that I had more control over things at the moment than I did. And, uh, and I think that was ultimately, you know, the downfall with the pornography and, and was this that I, I, I used it because it made me feel like I could control things in my life. And that was an illusion that the addiction allowed me to keep up for so long. Um, and, and that's not a healthy thing. You know, I am a, I, as, as, a, as a porn addict, I'm an absolutely typical case. You know, I had the abuse when I was young at the hands of a babysitter. I believe that's where I kind of developed some of my body autonomy issues. And I believe that was where I promised myself, you know, just get to the next day, just survive. Whether it's steal, cheat, lie, say what you have to do, manipulate, whatever, just get to the next day. Because as a five-year-old kid, the horror of what was going on with me there and different types of abuse, I think that, you know, I, I tried to pack it away quickly when I was done with it. And then I think when I found pornography a couple of years later, when I was 12, I think without realizing it, that's what helped me repress all those memories. Because if a memory was starting to appear, I could just go to my pornography. And then a few years later, I learned, well, you also can go to alcohol. This is great. You've got two things that will completely take you away from your problems. So mm -hmm. instead of developing problem solving skills, I developed skills of hiding my addiction, of feeding my addiction, of becoming a manipulator to get my addiction, of doing whatever it was I needed to do to have those those addictions nearby because those were the only things I could count on. You know, the the survival skills of an eight-year-old boy cannot be the survival skills of a 38-year-old man, but that's what I was dealing with. That's um, usually how it works. Uh, I've yeah. talked about this on, on other shows where you just... Uh, most most of us carry trauma from when we're we're a child, right? And and it could be small, it could be big, but it's oh, just yeah, absolutely. It's it just doesn't, learning it doesn't how matter to cope. whether how you rank it, right? It's how it it's, it's the how feel. it survives in your head. Yeah, and you learn. Well, I don't like that feeling, and you learn a way to cope with it, and yeah. you carry it. Unless you're facing it, you kind of carry it through your whole life, right? And, and right, unless you sit there with like cognitive behavioral, uh, behavioral well, that's, therapy well, I deal or, with my feelings when I can pour a Red Bull and tequila and actually yeah. feel good. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting, the control aspect, because a lot of times I think about something like this, like when I see it, I think about somebody, a loneliness, which I'm sure is an aspect for a lot of people. And sometimes it, it might be something that, that starts that, but the control aspect is interesting to me to think because I'm, I'm guessing, you know, obviously you dealt with abuse as a child mm -hmm. and this is probably the way you controlled that feeling in some way, right? I mean, this is, this is well, how you, you know, control it. If, if you look at my life, I have always had my own companies. I have always worked for myself. Mm -hmm. I believe that when I was young, I told myself that I would not let anybody decide for me what I would do with my day, what I would do with myself, what I would do with my body. And despite the fact that I probably, or not probably, there's no question, I did hurt myself quite a bit with my choices. 
um, I was still telling myself, but at least they're my choices. You know, nobody else is telling me what to do. Nobody's making me do anything I don't want to do. Nobody's forcing me into anything. I'm my own guy. That's right. I'm my own guy. I just didn't step back and go, wow. And that is a really unhealthy guy who, mm-hmm. you know, is, is, is not the nicest of human beings and uh, is really just at a, at a core level doing what he can to survive and playing David Copperfield in trying to create an illusion of a guy who's got it all together, a guy who's got a great life, a guy who, you know, don't look over here, look over here where the real magic's happening. Yeah. And it was, it, I, I was able to keep it up for 24, 25 years, but, uh, you know, thank God, I uh, thank God it all came to an end because my last eight years have been so much better. My last eight years have been so much healthier. And I just, you know, that faulty thinking that that six, seven, eight year old kid had that made sense at the time. But, you know, I you don't go back and really look at, gee, what did six year old me get wrong? Yeah. Um, but but part of recovery was, yeah, six-year-old me made a few mistakes because he didn't have any skills. He didn't have any resources. All he was trying to do was get to tomorrow. Yeah. So he did what he needed to do, and it worked for him, and it worked for me a lot in my life. I ended up you know, being a local politician. I ended up running a large publishing company. I created uh, one of the most successful film festivals in northern New England, um, that there still has ever been. Uh, I made myself crazy busy because I liked control. I've at home with my wife and kids, you know, it, it was kind of always 50, 50 with my wife and I, and, uh, there were times, you know, early in our marriage where we would, uh, overdraft our checkbook and I, what happened here? What happened here? It's because our communication wasn't strong. You know, I was, how is it that I can hit payroll and I can run a $3 million company, but we freaking overdraft our checkbook. And it's, it's because the communication was poor because I wasn't in total control. And uh, that was, that was really what my life was about. And looking back now with all those years of clarity, with all the years of clarity of how I was and how I rationalized decisions, I can see exactly what happened. And it was a matter of trying to protect myself, trying to protect my feelings, trying to protect my pride, trying to protect everything bad that I had done, trying to just isolate from the world and not let it hurt me. So when when's the point that you realized you needed help? Or I guess I should say the breaking point, because you might have realized it earlier, but we, we tend to fight that feeling yeah, there, for a there long were, time. Yeah, there were, I mean, it's, it's not like I didn't know. I, I, and the thing with, with uh, pornography addiction, especially if you're active in another addiction, it's super easy to hide. Yeah. I couldn't hide the fact I was an alcoholic. You know, I sounded like an alcoholic. I smelled like an alcoholic. I stumbled like an alcoholic. Um, it's easy to hide porn addiction. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons it flies under the radar so much. But what you know, what really happened to me is that in my last year of addiction, um, I saw cracks in my publishing company. Um, I saw things heading to a place where I didn't know how to handle them. The the publishing company did very well for about five years. Um, 
mainly because people had never seen these kinds of magazines in this part of uh, the Northeast. And we did very well during what was the housing recession of, you know, 2008 to 2012. Um, we did very well. It was only at the point when the economy started recovering and people decided to start being, you know, creative with their money that they started pulling their advertising dollars away. And I was like, okay, but, but new companies weren't popping up to replace them. You know, after four or five years, I understand a company is like, okay, well, we tried you for four years. Now we're going to do this. Now we're going to do, it makes sense. There weren't the new companies to replace those advertisers who were leaving. And I didn't know what to do. So I made the horrible, horrible decision to pull myself off of my bipolar medication. Um, in early, in yeah, early 2013, I pulled myself off of my bipolar meds because I romanticized what the mania was. I remembered it from 15 years earlier in my twenties and it was an unending fountain of energy. It was an unending fountain of outside box ideas. Um, I only got to where I was because the, mania of the bipolar pushed me in some ways. Who the hell starts a you know, publishing company in the middle of the worst recession since the Great Depression? Mm -hmm. Well, this, this guy does. But, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was great to have at some points. However, I romanticized what it did for me. So I said in 2013, I'm going to pull myself off of this medication and um, that will allow me a few extra hours to be awake. That will allow me some interesting thoughts. That will give me what I need to save this company. And instead of what happened was probably within three weeks, once the medication was out of my system, my alcoholism tripled, my porn addiction doubled. And for the bulk of 2013, both increased horribly, horribly. And I, uh, in 2014, I had started to mentally recognize that I needed to slow down and I needed to make some changes, but I couldn't do too much because all of a sudden on March 20th, 2014, the Maine State Police showed up at my door and they said that we know that you have talked to an underage girl online. And oh I was like, what in the hell are you talking about? Um, because you can tell when police pull up to your house, even when they're in unmarked cars. You and I watched enough cop shows in mm -hmm. the 80s to know exactly. They're still driving these sedans that I think you can only get in Hollywood. <laughs> and and they pulled up and I thought that I had I knew they were cops, but I had no idea why they were there because um, I saw them out my front window. Um, I thought maybe I had done something screwy with finances with my businesses or something i didn't know why they were there they showed up they had the uh warrant i invited them in because when the police have a warrant you invite them in and uh we sat down and we had a very good conversation for about an hour and they said to me you know we know that you went online and you talked to this person and while uh, we don't know if you knew what her age was that doesn't work for us um here's what you did and then I was like, oh, wow, you, you clearly got me. And what I had started to do in mid to late 2013 that I had actually stopped by the time that they had, had uh, reached me 
is that regular porn wasn't doing it for me anymore. When you're talking addiction, you're talking about escalation. Mm -hmm. You're talking about the gambling addict who has to raise his bets to feel the same high. You're talking about, you know, moving from beer to wine to the hard stuff. Every With every addiction, the brain demands more and more just to give you the same amount of high. Most people think that people who are addicts, doesn't matter what it is, we're, we're searching for the next big high. And that's not true. We're searching for that first high because that first high was amazing. And that's what happens. And you never reach it again. And that's the problem is that that's why it escalates that while that's why it gets so big. You're trying to go back and feel that numbness, feel that sense of okay, that you felt so many times when you first used before it turned into an obsession, a habit before it turned into an obsession, before it turned into an addiction. And I could not I got to the point where looking at traditional pornography was doing nothing for me. So what I started to do was to go into chat rooms and talk to people. And I would end up isolating with one woman and we would go on, you know, we would get into a private chat room and I would, uh, you know, get very sexual with her and see if she would start to, you know, do sexual things. Cause, mm -hmm. and it was more fun for me if she said no at first, because I liked to be the one in power. I liked to manipulate. I was, I, you know, if, a, if I got into a chat room with a woman and, you know, she just flashed her breasts, that's not what I wanted. That, that wasn't what it was Too about easy. at all. It was about the chase. And I'll tell you how, I'll tell you how messed up it got was that I ended up uh, being taught by someone else who was doing this online how to run a video of somebody, bypass my camera, run a video of somebody. And so they think that they're looking at me, but it's not me. And I can just keep typing my answers in the chat room we were at. So because it was a guy, literally a good looking guy, just literally typing. And so girls thought they were talking to someone who was younger and much better looking than me. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's how I was able to, con you know, if I could get a woman who said, no, she wouldn't show me anything or do anything to do it after two or three hours. That was my success. That was my that was my uh, that was my my control. And that last year of my life, if you walked into my office at the at the magazine, um, you would have seen lots of plaques and trophies and other things on the wall, but they weren't there to show you how awesome I was. They were there for me to walk in and be reminded how awesome I was mm -hmm. because I, I was in such self-loathing. I hated myself for most of my life. And I collected these trophies as a way of telling myself I was special. And the thing that I would do at the end of these sessions with these women is that I would take a screen capture or two and I would throw them into a folder. And those became my trophies. Trophy. Yeah. And it's like, I, I never, I never use that folder for, you know, masturbation or for porn purposes. I, I, I wasn't interested. If I wanted to look at porn, I know how the internet works. Yeah. I could go do that. Uh, but these were just the people who I would take a screen capture and be like, aha, I got you. And, you know, you did what I wanted. You fell to my expertise. You know, granted, it's 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. here on the East Coast. And <laughs> somebody who's probably equally as hammered is, you know, 
I'm able to suggest to them to do this stuff. And uh, what ended up happening was one of these women ended up being a teenager and the police found out and uh, they came and they laid it out for me and said, here's what you were doing. And it's like, oh yeah, you've, you've got me here. Uh, there weren't any other you know, underage people, but uh, one was one is one too many. Yeah. And uh, I, that was really my wake up call. Um, that was when uh, everything, that was the day everything changed, March 20th, 2014, the day they showed up, which, like I said, ironically, I hadn't been doing that. I had been already recognizing I needed to change my life. I'd already stopped. I hadn't done that kind of stuff online for three or four months at that point. Um, they found they found that I had done this in November 2013 with that, with the uh, teenage girl who was there, but it was it was it was one of those moments where when it happened i was like oh my god my life is different forever my life has changed forever now and uh after my conversation with them when he and i were riding to the sheriff's office together so i could be properly booked mm -hmm. he said to me you know you are one of the calmest guys i have ever seen he said and I said, well, you got me and it's about time and maybe this will help. And he said, I think you're going to I think you're going to do great. He said, I think I, I, I know you're not I know you're not one of these guys yeah. who is, you know, a, a stalker or a predator. He's like, you you are a sick guy who, who made some mistakes and use this time to get better. And I'm so glad he said that to me. And I actually called him about three years later mm -hmm. and said, Hey, I just want to tell you, you were right. Thank you. Know, thank you so much. And uh, he's dropped me a note every now and then if a new book comes out or something else happens that, you know, still watching you still see you're doing great. And, uh, and, you know, it was, I have to live with the fact that, uh, I did something really heinous and I did something really horrible to that, to that girl. Um, I also live with the fact that I did it to a bunch of women in their twenties and thirties. It's not yeah. cool that I did it to them either. Um, but you really can't do it to anybody who's under 18 years old. And, and I did. So I, I rightfully paid the price for it, but that price also was my sobriety and I got better and if that hadn't happened to me, I don't know if I'd be here talking to you today, Jason. Yeah. You know, I, I think I'd be dead, honestly, had I, had I kept going. So it's one of those things that was a very mixed bag. But I now look back eight years later and go, I hope who, wherever that girl is now, she's an adult now. I don't know what's going on. I hope she doesn't even remember it. I hope it's a minor league little thing for her and it didn't cause great, you know, yeah. mental problems or great anxiety or anguish. Um, that's, that's hard for me to live with because I created victims and I don't like that. Um, uh, I always, I always was the one who I always portrayed myself as a victim and to find out I'm the one who was doing the victimizing. That's a wake up call and a half. Jeez. Well, th did you find then some kind of relief when you were caught? I mean, obviously probably after the initial uh, well, shock I found, but... I found relief in knowing that i wasn't going to go down the same road i was going on i owned one third of the company i ran it day to day but i owned one third of the publishing company the two other owners fired me that night and that i was arrested and that was the best thing that could have happened to me that was the best news i got all day because i was just recently a city councilor i was a very well-known person in town 
after I got arrested, um, I was at the sheriff's office for about an hour. Um, ironically, I, I knew all of them. They were all very nice to me because the work I did both as a city councilor and as a, and in the media, I knew everybody I was dealing with. So I was only there for, you know, 30 minutes to an hour after my wife picked me up, I went back to my office so I could tell the people working, Hey, I got to get the hell out of Dodge for a little while. And, uh, there's going to be some weird stuff about to go down. So, uh, just don't talk to the media. And I got there and the guy who did our design work for our magazines, he was like, what did you do? And I was like, why? He's because it's already on the wire. Cause we had, we had the Associated Press, mm-hmm. uh, stream coming in. And I was like, Oh my God. And what happened was I found out later was they knew I was a big fish. They knew it would be noteworthy. So they had a press release ready for the moment that I was arrested to go out there. And unfortunately it had a bunch of incorrect information. So a lot of early news reports were incorrect. Um, and I think were made things out to sound a lot worse, but you know, two years later when I finally pled guilty, I pled guilty to, you know, going and, uh, uh, doing that to that woman and I using a video since she didn't know it was me. That was, uh, what's the charge called? Um, not endangerment, but, uh, Oh, I'll think of it in a minute and I'll yell it out. Um, Exploitation, excuse me. Uh, It was exploitation of a minor because she had no idea what I was doing. And uh, and then I got nabbed for having two pieces of child pornography because I took two screen captures of her. And while there was all kinds of other uh, uh, loud noises around what I did, that's that's what I did. That's what I got convicted of. And uh, unfortunately... um, that was, I, I, like I said, I hope that nothing happened to her negatively mm-hmm. because I hate to think that this horrible, horrible thing that happened to her and, and, and happened to me and happened to my family and all, I ended up better for it. And I just hope somehow she did too. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, at least you're using it now to help others and something that really goes kind of unnoticed. I, I don't want to say unnoticed because we do know what's going on and how easy and accessible pornography is now. Uh, especially we both talked beforehand that we're, we're from generation X. So that was a different time where oh, magazines and VHS that's yeah. You had to, you had to work for it. Yeah. <laughs> work exactly. for it a little oh, bit. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, that, and that's the thing is I wonder could, you know, if we give every 10 year old kid the greatest porn computer in the history of the world with their smartphone and send them out and it's like yeah it's like you and i had to do some work and i thought i found a convenience store that would sell me alcohol i found a video store that would rent me adult films you know, I, I did all of this MacGyver, James Bond stuff to feed my addiction as a 15-year-old boy mm-hmm. when, geez, now you just you order pills over the internet and, you know, nobody bothers you if you buy alcohol and you've got, not, you know, weed is legal everywhere. And now yeah. you've got, you know, nonstop pornography, you know, being shipped to every child. And this isn't the Playboys that you and I saw. You know, if you can oh, spell yeah. man, sex, and goat, like any five-year-old kid, yeah. 
you can see a man having a sex with a goat, I'm pretty sure. Well, I mean, the amount – when I was doing some of the research, I mean, there, there's been some cases, obviously, where I think um, – Ashcroft in 2004 was was trying to go after the industry a little bit and he said I had it somewhere something like a kid can run can accidentally get to a pornographic website there's there's about 20,000 different ways he can he can see pornography by accident just by accident Um, which is actually they probably happen to everybody at some point you type in something and you're like whoa where yeah. did that come from? Well, and still these days, still I I I got a uh, inheritance from my uh, uncle about two years back, and it's like I'm finally going to. I ended up buying a Toyota Tacoma, uh, but I was like, I'm going to go see what it costs for a used Hummer, and it uh. turned out <laughs> that it'd been so long since I used the word Hummer as <laughs> as a euphemism that okay, what's a Hummer cost? Yeah. Well, you know what? It when it popped up that you could get a really low budget one around here for a hundred dollars, it was like, oh my god! Oh wait! Oh oh wait! We we're talking. You're sitting Hummer. there thinking. Okay. I guess okay. It I, some I, work. I see what's happening here. Yep. <laughs> yep. I I need to type in you know a few more details into my search if I'm going to oh. uh, go, going to learn about the vehicles. I remember I uh, I was working at a bank. I mean, this is going back. This is like 2007, and um, somebody came in. They had some credit card fraud, and it's basically someone the age of your grandma, nice little old lady. Yeah. Um, somebody's got her debit card number somehow, and they were charging stuff up. Um, and a lot of times, you'd see the website, and it was usually, you know, something stupid they wanted to buy. Yeah. Um, that wasn't illegal, but I, I was with the lady and I said, I wonder what the site is. I wonder what they tried to get. And they, <laughs> I pulled it up and it was straight up port. And I'm like, this is on my work workstation. Yeah. And I have an 85 year old lady here looking at it. And uh, it was embarrassing, but I, I never pulled up anything again. On the, I said, let, let the people yeah. who handle that do that. But I used to do it all the time. I'm like, yeah, it looks like they bought, you know, a couple of guitars or right. they bought, you know, this or that, a video game. But uh, well, I remember and, that. And that's it. And that's what, you know, I, I whenever I give a presentation somewhere, there's almost always, if there are parents in the audience, some who come up to me afterwards or even during the Q&A section, are like, well, what do you think of filters? And it's like filters are designed for you. They're designed for you to stick your head in the sand and not worry about things. Yeah. Uh, filters have never been designed for the user. They're designed for the overlord of the user to turn their head the other way. Because we do not live in a world where you can hide pornography from your children. Um, you can put, you know, and, and okay, you lock down their phone. Congrats. You locked down one of the 5 billion phones. Last yeah. I looked, it was 4.8 billion. It's going to be over five now. You lock down one of them. Great, great work. Thank you. Saved, you saved us all from pornography. Thank you for locking yeah. down that phone. What happens when your kid gets on the bus and the kid sitting next to him, you know, doesn't have parents who block Just that stuff that. out? What is your kid going to say? What is your kid going to do? It is not a matter of if your kids are going to see porn. It's a matter of when. And that's why we have to talk about this. It's not just talking about porn addiction. You know, my story shows where you can go. I mean, for, for 22 years, 
I was a functional addict, let's say. I don't think there's any functional addict, but mm-hmm. let's say I was I could I could do my day-to-day just fine. I would not have gone and talked to women in, in chat rooms. To me, that's cheating on my wife. And yeah. I did that. That's I mean, even though there was no physical, you know, and, and who cares whether they're 16 or 26 or 36. I'm married. That's cheating. And then to go and and try to cajole them into doing sexual things, that's really twisted. You know, I would not have done that for, you know, 21 years of my 22-year addiction. But that shows you where it can go. And that's really why I start with that message of my own story is if I can get to these places, anybody can. We think of stereotypes of porn addicts and, you know, the 19-year-old guy who lives in his mom's basement's never kissed a girl in real life or the creepy old man running through the park in the trench coat. You know, these these are our porn addicts in the world. But if I can be this, anybody can be this. In rehab, I met doctors. I met women. I met young people. I met old people, rich people, poor people, you know, every demographic you can imagine. And that's, you know, I I enter this space with my story, but we need to learn so much more because not every kid on that bus is going to be a porn addict, but every kid is going to be exposed to porn. And what do they need to know either before they're exposed or in those early years to understand and that's what I, why I try to tell parents, this is not the sex talk. I know this is what's keeping us away from talking about pornography. Right. We are not about the sex talk here. This is about the don't do drugs in my house speech. Mm-hmm. This is the no smoking speech. This is the no drinking speech. This is the when you're old enough to make your own decisions, you can do what you want. But when you live in my house, these are the rules we live with. And yeah, they'll go behind your back and look anyway, but at least you've said it in a normal sort of tone. I think just doing something like this is going to help hugely. Just letting your kid know this can be a dangerous substance. This can be a dangerous thing to look at. At 10, 11, 12, you shouldn't be looking at this stuff because it can do some it can do some damage to your brain it can do some damage to the way you look at the world and think about things and there is a there is a generation of young unhealthy sexual males and females who they're not technically porn addicts but porn led them to be unhealthy and that's why when you know like i said i told you earlier i was at a uh college earlier this week giving a presentation the first thing i let everybody know is i'm not your you know conservative grandpa i am not anti-porn whatsoever i am pro-healthy sexuality being anti-porn would be like being anti-alcohol and we saw how poorly that went a hundred years ago (laughs) to suggest that uh, you know, we could get rid of pornography or the depiction of pornography. I don't know if we didn't have any of it, if that would be any healthier. I think that would be, you know, just as unhealthy if, you know, the expression of sexuality was stamped out when you consider it in art and in media and in all these places. And the fact that unless it is, it moves into that illegal territory, it's absolutely legal. So I'm not gonna go out and try to fight pornography. What a losing battle. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to try to get 
people to learn more about it, whether they're an addict or whether they're not. So when, um, you know, when these statistics come out in 10 years or 20 years, hopefully they are showing that we've plateaued or we've dropped because lately they are just, especially with the pandemic, they are just skyrocketing. And I'm not saying don't look at porn. I'm saying if you're going to look at porn, know what you're getting into. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to normalize that conversation with kids, I think, too, because if you don't normalize it, it becomes something in their head. And now they want to know more about it, right? I mean, it's just natural. Well, and you're my age. When I was five, six years old, we had HBO at my house. We were one of the (laughs) few people who had the the one premium channel. And my mom would let me watch like any Full Metal Jacket, Rambo, Platoon, any of these. My mom would let me watch the goriest violent movies ever she would let me watch you know horror movie the shining the thing these yeah. movies that still scare me at night uh the, she let me watch those but god forbid a breast come on the s- screen god forbid my mother was the same way but comes on the screen so here's the message it's okay to kill people yeah it's okay to watch killing of people it's okay to do it but oh my god if you see a boob or a butt or, or a penis or a vagina yeah. that that's the end that's the I, end. i used to have the same thing in my house and i mean my mother was was much more conservative so she didn't really like the blood either but you know god forbid she could take that more but God forbid it was anything sexual. It was just the most uncomfortable feeling in the yeah. world. Oh my God. House. Did you ever like look away? Like if there, you're on the same room oh, and that you know the there's worst. a scene coming up, it's like you want to enjoy the scene because you're just a heterosexual little kid who, <laughs> oh, you're curious. It's the weirdest thing. But then thing mom's the there, so you're going to be like, oh, well. Uh, you start talking. I, <laughs> yes. I think that uh, that was a fantastic dinner, mom. Thank you very much. It's like, why is it that you're talking in the voice of a game show host and you're eight years old and there's a pair of breasts on the screen? There's no way this is all a coincidence. No, I'm trying to throw you off the track that I'm yeah. not taking it a big deal that there are breasts. And, there. and it's always funny in those moments because usually if you're by yourself, that breast was a flash on the screen. Oh, two seconds. Not even two seconds. Yeah, it's so quick. But when <laughs> your mother or your father's in the room, it's it's like, oh, yeah, it's, why it's, is it's, this it's in slow motion? For an hour. Why? Why did time stop? Is Professor yeah. X here? What happened? Uh, you know, so oh, that's so true. That's so I, true. I, it's, yeah. um, oh my god, it's so funny. Why are you watching scrambled TV? I'm not. I'm flipping channels. Yeah, that's not the Playboy channel. That was yeah. That was another one. Well, that's what we talk about. You had to work for it when you were a kid. I mean, you kind of just yeah. accidentally ran into it. But I, I do remember. You know, friends would would have that on, and it'd be like, "Oh, it scrambled just right for a second, yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But that's what um, it's almost quaint talking about it this way now. Yeah, you know what? And I, I, it's funny. I've said this to my wife, like watching Game of Thrones or something like that, <laughs> you know, or any of those HBO shows, or on anything. Every week there was nudity on that show, uh, whether it was sexual or not. Yeah. And I'll remember like one week there wasn't, and I noticed it. I'm like, wait a second. Nobody was naked this week. You know, 
that's how desensitized I was to it. It, it didn't make yeah. a difference that people were naked on it. I just had noticed that nobody was. And it blew my mind at how different things had gotten. But, you know, the media is so different and the times are so different that when we were kids, we only had the 30 channels or whatever. You were were lucky if you had HBO. I know I didn't for a long time, but I used to go to my friend's house and he'd have HBO. They had HBO and Cinemax and I was like, oh, my God, you're the richest person. All your missed was BMX bandits every afternoon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, but now it's it's it, there's just so much content, and you know, well, put it put you this way. Uh, one one of the you know craziest stats out there. Um, about two years ago, Pornhub had to pull down anything that they could not confirm was. Uh, of age or that was a consensual act of people who wanted to be filmed and displayed gotcha. at the t- then the reason I had to do this was because their uh payment gateways mastercard visa or whatnot threatened to pull them pull pull themselves down so because keep in mind number this is all about money ultimately this yeah. whole thing is all about oh, money yeah. ultimately um Pornhub had 13 and a half million videos at the time they pulled down 10 and a half million videos of wow. of their 13 and a half million videos 10 and a half could not 10 and a half million could not be confirmed as of age or of uh consensual performers and they didn't skip a damn beat because their 3.5 million porn videos that they could could confirm, you and I could still watch them end to end on 10 computers until the day we die on a 24-hour loop and still never see the same thing. So yeah. it's not like they need more pornography. It's just that it keeps getting produced and produced. And I think that, and, and I didn't mention this in my last book, I don't think I did. It's actually been over a year since I read it. But uh, I don't think I mentioned this, but what I'm really concerned about now as we're probably coming out of this pandemic is how many of these people, how many of these young people who went to campsites, who went to OnlyFans, who started to make pornography at home to make ends meet, because if you remember early yeah, on- was a huge- fir- with the furloughs with everything it was it was retail sector it was service sector you're talking about young people young gregarious people who were good at customer service who all lost their jobs and what happened at that point you had the online world of cams and do-it-yourself porn like only fans explode when the pandemic started there was roughly three hundred thousand people on OnlyFans making content um, recently, the CEO, a couple months back, said that there were over 2 million people making content on there. So in two years, worldwide, we went from 300,000 people making porn to 2 million making porn on just one website. And they make a lot of money. I've, I've heard this. A lot of... It started... Well, that's starting to are... change, actually. That's yeah. starting to change because there's starting to be such a mass... Well, two million plus. Well, and the thing is, it OnlyFans delivered what no porn could deliver when you and I were young. 
It's the last forbidden genre. Mm-hmm. Porn of people you know. Yeah. And that's that's the selling point. It's porn of people you know. And what's funny is that the people you know are the ones advertising they have these pages. Go look at my OnlyFans. And that tells you from our parents' and grandparents' generation when, you know, your grandmother and my grandmother, if they went out in a two-piece swimsuit, there was maybe one inch of their stomach showing. And now we live in a world where, and, and you and I in high school, no social media. If you and I were in our junior or senior year in high school and the buff football, you know, quarterback and the super sexy cheerleader, if they had gone to the beach and had a picture taken and it came back to school, everybody would be passing around this photo of these two of your two friends, oh, yeah. half naked, passing it around as if it's currency. Yeah. And well, but you look now, every fifteen and sixteen year old kid in high school with their Instagram account is expected to be half naked. Yeah. You can access half naked pictures of your friends all the time. Mm-hmm. And since there were so f- and keep in mind these kids under 25 grew up in a world don't remember a world before the internet. Yeah. So access to sex, access to nudity, access to sexual depictions, all of this stuff has been at their fingertips. They have a much more open attitude about it. It's not taboo. So really, if you're what's the difference between being, you know, 17 years old uh, and your birthday is next week and showing a picture of yourself in a bikini. And what is the difference a week later when you're 18 taking that top off? Well, for most girls, it's $25 or $50 or whatever it is, because it's not a big deal to them. They right. don't have, they don't apply the taboos, the attitudes, the social mores that we do. And certainly our parents did. And while that's probably healthier in some ways, I think it's gone so far that there aren't these, hey, if you're going to do this, at least watch this. If you're going right. to do this, at least keep this in mind. And what I wonder is, uh, when I did that last book, I talked to people who were veteran cam models, veteran OnlyFans models, and I talked to newbies. And then I talked to them all three months later. Um, the veterans were able to tell me how the how the customers changed. They were the same people, but the newbies were so different with three months of doing that kind of work. And what I heard, especially from some of the young ladies, and this was kind of the saddest part, was that, you know, in my real life, when I worked at The Gap, you know, uh, nobody would even look at me. Nobody ever asked me out on a date. And now I've got men from around the world who will spend a hundred dollars if you know just to see a picture of me, or they'll spend two hundred dollars just for me to talk to them for half an hour on a webcam. And I've got men from around the world, you know, begging me to marry them. And and it's like, okay, what about the money? Well, the money's good, yeah, but this makes me feel special. Feeling. I like this. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you're discuss. You are talking about dopamine. You're talking about serotonin. Yeah. You're talking about oxytocin. You're talking about all the happiness drugs. So taking your clothes off gives you a high. It makes you feel good. Just like seeing people do that gave me a high, and made me feel good. And I didn't think any deeper of it at the time, but I was dealing with trauma. I think a lot of these people are dealing with trauma. And really, when you think about it, isn't making pornography just the different side of the coin from viewing it? Yeah. You're getting those same chemicals. It's, you know. it's also kind of um, 
what were we calling about escalation if you think about it. so yeah. you're talking about people look at your instagram right and the dopamine and the serotonin even when you get a like i mean listen this is this is fact we know that social media companies figured out how to target you and how to how to hit your brain so that dopamine hit makes you want to get more likes and things like that it's kind of escalation from that right like okay i can get some likes that's what 90 with my pretty face 90 percent of my male coaching clients that's exactly what we're dealing with is that they go on TikTok? you know they're 20 21 years old they go on TikTok. They see a pretty girl. Well, the way it works now is you click into her details, and she'll have a she'll have a page of links. One of those links will probably be OnlyFans. Yeah. And then you go look at that. I have I have all kinds of guys who tell me the same story. I just I go to look at Instagram, and the next thing I know, I'm looking at porn. And it's because well, you went to OnlyFans, or you started. You know, it's an escalation thing where okay. Now that I'm on OnlyFans, oh, there's a different OnlyFans girl. Oh, she's a porn star. Oh, I can go watch her real porn on the regular internet. And these guys are never ending up, you know, in a porn session with Instagram, you know, porn session with TikTok. Yeah. A lot of times, not even a porn session with OnlyFans. It's just these are the things that are dipping their toe in the water that gets them to the actual porn. So then afterwards, they're like, oh my God, what happened? I looked at porn again. Yeah. Well, you started by looking at TikTok. Well, I can't quit social media. Well, dude, then you've got to figure something else out because you're developing a porn addiction. If you can't get rid of social media, something else has to happen here. And that's what so many of these young men and women in this country and in the world are dealing with right now. And it's I I, I, when you and I were young with no social media, there weren't these kinds of, uh, you know, peer pressure, whether it be direct or whether it be passive aggressive because the other girls and guys are doing this. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I, it, it's, it's a strange place we find ourselves in our world. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know if we're going to have any impact on the statistics, but we have to at least start talking about it. Um, I, I wonder and, where, and not even in terms of go. addiction, just in terms of this stuff is everywhere. How are we going to deal with it as a society? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it, there's an issue of self-worth that's developed. L- listen, you can look at the anxiety. You can look at the suicide rates. You can look at all these all these problems, and they are directly... <laughs> there's a straight line from when the iPhone comes out to all of these things happening, whether it's in children, especially in children and, and young girls. Um with their self-worth or even suicide and things like that. I mean, it, it, there's a straight line for everybody because even the adults are affected by this stuff. We don't have, our brain is just not, I mean, I've seen, you know, I forget what, what that guy's name is. He did that uh, social, um, uh, Tristan something. Anyway, um, he did something about this, how basically it's just, it's designed to, as a dopamine hit it, it's getting you oh, high you know absolutely absolutely because well, think about it when you know you look at these like my my wife's father was one of 17 kids wow. and, uh, i think the family had moved from canada at that point but it was one of these canada catholic, told them 17's too much catholic french irish families that didn't use birth control, believed mm-hmm. in the world of the Lord and all that. And they had sex, well, at least that many times. 
and you got to think they probably didn't want a kid every time, but they kind of just followed their their rules or yeah. whatever. And these days, though, I think that they probably had sex so much. Part of it was because it felt really good, and they didn't know how to not have children. But the the fact is, having the sex felt so good that that was what what you dealt with. Um, I think that you're only supposed to access those chemicals in that combination when you go to have sex mm -hmm. because one of the things that I see out of so many of my male clients straight up through 40s in their 40s but a lot of them are younger uh, is the erectile dysfunction yeah. as a as a uh, as a result of watching so much porn because that's and that's what I went after and that's what addicts go after but I think that's what almost anybody goes after to some degree is you know the fact is, when you orgasm, you are having a chemical rush happen in your brain as well. Right. And and you're also having a chemical rush happen as you're looking at the porn. And when you think about it, you and I could go online for two hours and probably see more pornography than our grandfather, or certainly our great-grandfather, ever saw in his lifetime, mm -hmm. most likely. Um, what happens in you guys we're in our 40s so the yeah. what happens when you're nine and that happens what happens when you're nine and that happens today tomorrow the next day what you know when you're 12 that happens today tomorrow and the next day i think that we have figured out a way to kind of take a shortcut to get at these chemicals that feel so why does sex feel so good because the chemicals feel so good and we figured out a way to get at these chemicals. And unfortunately, while we figured this out, we figured out the shortcut to get to the chemicals, unfortunately, our brains uh, can't always distinguish uh, between the difference between a visual uh, scene on a computer screen or a TV screen and the real thing in front of us. Now, obviously our mind knows this is a real man or woman in front of me, but our minds don't always truly recognize that. This is why people don't use pornography, the same pornography a second time. Why would you use what you've already seen? Right. I need something new to, to tweak me to get me there. So this is why you see so many uh, marriages and relationships being ruined by pornography is because the man can't get hard or can't finish because if you've been with this woman a hundred times or a thousand times, or you've been married for 10 years or you probably know how this movie ends when you get together and have sex. Yeah. And, and the thing is, but our mind, if we watch a lot of pornography, we'll just, Oh, I've seen this. I, I've seen this way too many times. There's, there's nothing special about these breasts. There's nothing special about, yeah. you know, making love to this person. There's nothing special in this area. And that's what so many of these young guys are going through is that you know i had a guy um who he's a 19 or i think he's 20 now college student who we worked for several months on this and he ended up going on a tinder date with somebody and he was able to successfully have sex the first night the next morning they tried again he could they waited about five or six hours he couldn't again but he did the first night and for him that was the biggest victory but it was like, dude, you still couldn't do it two times the next day. Yeah. Because you've well, seen so it. it's, you experienced yeah, it. It's been there. That.
I was going to say, it's like the, the porn site, right? You saw right. it already. And, well, the thing is, and this this was this was understood to be only a hookup. This was not going to be a relationship. This was not going to be, you know, when you're, you know, and it's cheesy, but when you're making love to somebody you care about, it's a different mental experience. Mm-hmm. That's why you can do it again and again and again. There's a reason we have one night stands. It's because we can only stand them for one night. And... <laughs> And, and that's, you know, that's a lot of what porn is. But our little monkey minds have not evolved in three generations, you know, from when our great grandfathers never saw porn to us now being able to see the most out there outlandish porn 24 seven. Our brains can't handle that. Mm-hmm. We did not evolve that much in three generations. So we now have statistics about how unhealthy this is becoming for young men and young women for all men and all women and we need to get these out there and share about them because i think there are still a lot of people and a lot of people are in control in this world who are like yeah yeah you know go go talk to a 75 year old member of congress and ask him how pornography has changed in the media over the past 30 40 years he won't know she won't know because they're not following this kind of stuff because there's so much more important stuff out there whether it's covid or ukraine or black lives matter mm-hmm. or the opiate crisis or raising your own kids or having your own job it's just nowhere near the top of anybody's priority list and we have to start making it that way a little bit more or we are going to be in a very unhealthy sexual society very soon if we're not already there you know it's interesting when i i'm thinking back a little bit um and we're Gen X, and then there was the boomers. In the 60s, the boomers did have a, a sexual revolution at one point, but then they kind of went totally conservative about it yeah. in the in the 80s, right, or the late 70s yeah. or whatever. Well, it turned out they could make money, and they wanted money more. Yeah, well, that's... <laughs> they yeah. all became stockbrokers. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was. I always think, thought that was very interesting, that they went from the civil rights movement and the Beatles and the Stones well, to, to our that. Our <laughs> grandparents tra- worked very hard, so our grandparents wouldn't work, didn't have to work hard. Right. And they didn't. And, and then yeah. they turned us over to a world where we didn't want to work at all. Yeah. And now we've got these younger kids who are, like I said, why work when you can just show your boobs for 15 minutes yeah. a day and sell pictures of it? Yeah. You know, why, why, you know, we, we're in a place in society where, you know, I think we need to go back and revise the idea of greatest generation uh, because I, I just don't think that their legacy is going to hold up over time. They became, you know, after it was the depression. The depression went yeah. from the roaring 20s, from sexual openness, the flappers, you know, and, and people That's having true. parties and the tw- no, 1910s, 1920s, great party times, free society. Then you hit the Great Depression and then we start to slowly go from a agricultural society to a manufacturing society. Yeah. And things just changed and it wasn't until... You know, our friend Mark created Facebook. I really think that it wasn't even the internet. It was the creation of Facebook um, or maybe the creation of MySpace. But, you know, nobody really, you know, admits yeah. to ever having used that. Uh, that's like that's like the bad neighborhood of the internet. <laughs> um, and, uh, no, no, you know, I think that Mark Zuckerberg 
pushing Facebook out there is really what, and I think the iPhone was absolutely as far as use of how to get to it easy, yeah. take it everywhere with you. But I, I think I think Facebook was the beginning of the social media revolution, and you know it didn't take long for a couple you know college guys to go, gee, you know if we created this thing called Snapchat where. Uh, a message would disappear in six seconds. I bet there'd be a whole lot of people sending naked pictures to each other. And it turned out that was true. Yeah. No, and because throughout history and throughout media, more importantly with media, you go back to, you know, the 1930s, 1940s, when radio started to make its way to film and to television, sex has always been on the leading end of this it's but two things have been on the leading so end of two things are on the leading end of all new media creation sex and professional wrestling because really people, people will watch both they're both very cheap to produce and you'll get a ton of eyeballs on it i i did read when i was researching stuff there was a lot of people who said basically the internet pioneer uh porn pioneered a lot of the internet think about paywalls and and stuff well, like that and I'm, I'm still watching this because it's still on but uh hulu and you, you'd probably find this interesting just because you were alive at the time but uh hulu has a great uh docu-series called pam and tommy out right now which is about how the sex tape uh, got stolen from Pamela Anderson oh, I remember this. Yep. and how it got out there and how it really, how, you know, back then, and it, it, it's, it's, it's such a well done, but somebody be like, no, we will sell this. The guy who stole it, we will sell this on the internet. And people, are, is that the WWW thing? Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's, oh yes, this is right. 95, 96. Yeah. This was right when it was just starting to go mainstream. And it's it's not just fascinating for that as a historical document. It's also great because two of the episodes, and I, I wrote about this on my blog recently, two of the episodes really get into what the tape did mentally to Pamela Anderson. And you start to understand that, you know, what is revenge porn? What is this kind of stuff that we didn't think about with, we don't think about with certain people because they're celebrities or they're sluts or yeah. they're, you know, they're, they're porn stars or all this kind of stuff. We don't think about what pornography does to these people. We don't think what pornography does to the society in general. And right now we're all running around like a bunch of coked up little monkeys with these, you know, sex uh, chemicals going through our head in the right combination. And, we can't get it up, you know, to procreate like normal humans, like we were intended, like we did for, you know, hundreds of generations. Now we figured out a way to get all that happy feeling without having to buy anybody dinner or without having to, uh, you know, become a well-rounded person. And so we have our porn at night and we have our, we have our high with our chemicals at night. But people don't realize that addiction is addiction is addiction. And when you look at the, the there's actually six or seven different chemicals that make up your pleasure centers. And uh, when you look at the combination of chemicals that do result from pornography addiction in most people, the closest addiction formula wise with those pleasure chemicals is cocaine. So that's how you can, you know, when people are like, hey, it's just pornography, it's like you would never say it's just cocaine. Yeah. But that is as strong as the as the drive because it's essentially the same chemical makeup you're getting. 
um, with the dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, melatonin, you know, a few other things. Um, you are getting a mix of chemicals that is similar to cocaine use um, or, or addicted cocaine use. People need, whether it's, whether it's gambling or drugs or alcohol or sex or food or video games, addiction is addiction is addiction. You know, porn addiction didn't take place between my legs. Food addiction doesn't take place in your stomach. All addiction takes place in your brain. Yes. That, and that's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves in a place where we now know how to short circuit our brain with sexual imagery. Mm -hmm. And that really affects some of us really hard, but it's affecting everybody because it's affecting over, over, you know, overwhelming attitudes. And I'll tell you, I just had this confirmed again the other day, um, two years ago, this has nothing to do with addiction. This is just pornography. And that's, you know, when people say, well, so it's just pornography forget addiction. Okay. Forget addiction. Um, there is no college freshman, 18, 19 year old boy who has not grown up on pornography. Um, I've spoken with so many uh, women of college age who do not want to have sex with virgin men, especially when they're in college. And I've had the same conversation again and again, and it's because these guys grew up watching porn. And if you grow up watching porn and you haven't had sex yet, you don't truly understand that pornography is not a documentary right pornography is not a reality show you and i can see porn and see everything that's fake we know it we know right you know we know people don't do those things in real life <laughs> yeah or if they do it's only on your birthday <laughs> um, you don't do those things that's not how normal people are but if you started watching at 12 years old if you're now 18 years old and if you watch, say, even just five or six porn clips a week, you have now seen thousands and thousands of porn clips by the time you're 18. And if you're in college and you finally have found a woman who is willing to have sex with you and you're going to lose your virginity, where are you going to go to in your mind for your working knowledge of what you're supposed to do? You're going to go to all of those sexual images you've seen. So these women talk about even guys who grow up seeing the most vanilla porn. When you think about it, you're going to see the guy saying horrible things to the woman. Yeah. And she doesn't say it in return. He's probably going to be far more aggressive than her. He's probably going to have his hand across her throat at some point. Right. He's going to bend her in ways that, you know, you're not supposed to be bent and that he won't be bent. And, these all finish in a way that real sex between two people doesn't finish yeah. with a, with a girl looking up at you from the floor. Yeah, um, you know, th th that's not how it goes in real life. But if that's how these what's these guys think, well, that these women have told me stories of you know you shut the door and suddenly you're with this guy who thinks he's a porn star and he's pushing you on the bed. And it's yeah. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, hey, calm, calm your roll. Uh, that's not how this works. And so many of them have shared stories with their friends. And it's been years of this now that there are a lot of women of that age group who specifically do not want to have sex with virgin men because they know they've been so tainted by porn. That's where we are in society. Forget addiction. That's what porn is doing to us in society is changing these things around at these young ages. We need to, and we're never gonna go back to the way we were, and I don't think it would be healthy to go back to the way right. we were. 
what we need to start doing is having discussions right. about healthy sexuality in this world. You know, it's funny because uh, I have a bunch of shocking porn statistics, I call them. But one of them was a survey showed that one in four 18 to 24 year olds, which is almost 25 percent, listed pornography as the most helpful source to learn to have sex. So what you're talking about, that's exactly what that is. So somebody who's not experienced and well, as a young know, kid. God forbid they grow up in a situation where their mom or dad isn't there, isn't there for them. You know? Right. And, 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 you know, and, and I can feel compassion and I can feel yeah. empathy for a lot of these people. But what would, you know, how much did you, how much time did you waste in health class in high school you know, that one semester you didn't take gym and had to take health, yeah. learning about, you know, the birds and the bees that you knew in sixth grade or them, you know, drugs are bad for y'all. Okay, thanks. I'm, I'm 16. <laughs> I can tell you exactly what they do to you. Um, what if we just had one of those classes where we talked about pornography and we not, you know, you and I have been talking here for well over an hour now yeah. and we have not got graphic. You don't need to get grabbed. No. You don't need to talk. And then three guys were doing this yeah. to two girls. And yeah. no, no, we can talk. We all know what we're talking about when we say pornography. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it, I, I, I think that uh, we need to grow up. We need to put our big boy and big girl pants on. And what Generation X can do is start the education and start trying to get us to a healthier place because god knows our parents aren't going to do it no uh, aside from the fact they're old they couldn't imagine talking about this stuff my mom has never heard me on a podcast my mom has never read one of my books yeah. my mom wants to think i think that i'm a virginal five-year-old boy yeah who still lives at home with her and that's not healthy you know i my kids are going if they're gonna you know have kids they're gonna have to have sex and yeah. the reality is mom you and dad got together one night that's why i'm here yeah <laughs> you know so maybe we can talk about this in healthy normal terms yeah i mean it, it's something you know it's so weird because it's what you were saying right it, it, when we were talking before about watching tv and you could see a thousand people getting killed i think um, I watched something with George R. R. Martin saying, you know, who writes the the um, uh, Song of Fire and Ice, or you want to yeah. call it Game of Thrones, or whatever, and he said <laughs> the amount of mail he gets when <laughs> yelling at him basically for describing um, sex in his books compared to what he doesn't get for the amount of violence he has. He's like, yeah. it's it, the sexual repression in that society. And this society is just unbelievable. He's like, I've tortured and maimed and did so many things to people. Right. And, and, and that's, I think people are surprised when I don't come out and say, stay away from porn, stay away from porn. No, you can't. It's anyway. never going to happen. Let's, let's, let's be smart. But how let's did we, smart. how did, I, I guess it's money. We talked about that before. It's just so funny that we were so, um, you know, there was a lot of regulation against this kind of stuff on TV. Um, you know, you can go back to George Carlin talking about seven words you can't say on television and things like that. How did we let the Internet run wild with this stuff, especially coming from from. Uh, we didn't know what it was. Yeah, I guess. But I, I think about the era right before that where. 
you know, they were blaming video games for causing violence. And then pornography was allowed to get just absolutely yeah. insane. It was I mean, the rock music lyrics that were going to Yeah, that was the other thing. Listening to it backwards somehow made you a murderer yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. But, yeah. you know, I guess, I mean, I know they had the, the Communications Decency Act and then um, – what was it? Section two thirty kind of takes away. They've any kind had of all kinds of these things, but you know what? The th- technology is going to stay ahead of the law. Well, that's true. The law works slow, right? Technology doesn't. Technology right. is always going to be ahead of it, um, and human nature is always going to be ahead of it. Why don't we stop denying who we are? Why don't we look in the mirror and not see? total pieces of crap or total, you know, kings and queens. Yeah. Why don't we see the world for what it is? Recognize there's good and bad, there's light and dark, and there is nothing wrong with legal pornography made in legal ways, used by, you know, one or two healthy people who are doing it consensually. Right. There's nothing actually, it's like there's nothing wrong with going into a pub and having a beer or two with your friends and then leaving. Right. It's just that I can't go to that pub and have one or two beers. I will say goodbye. You guys you guys can yeah. go. I'm going to stay here and keep drinking until they kick me out. Um, it's like, you know, it's 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 like I can't go and look at normal porn uh, because, you know, because it will send me off to another place. I, I know this about myself, but there are a lot of people out there who have n- still never heard of pornography addiction and who are like, well, well, it's just porn. It's not like I'm using heroin or it's not like, you know, I'm not like my friend who uses video games 16 hours a day. And it's like, no, dude, this is, this is the same thing. It's the same thing. Well, I mean, God, I could talk about this forever and maybe there's something else in the future. Uh, I mean, I would love to, to get in I've, I've been on a lot of shows two yeah. or three times yeah now well you know what i'd always love to have a conversation about um like revenge porn or something how yep. that's legal and how to get around that but uh i know we're we're coming up on time so um why don't you uh you know plug your books or how we can reach you Yeah, best way to reach me, whether you're interested in learning more about my coaching, whether you want links to my books, which are a bunch of places online, uh, or you just want to read more about addiction or you want to get some resources. There are so many ways to battle addiction. The thing I can say is if you have any question about whether you have an addiction, uh, I always say, well, do you ask yourself if you're addicted to vacuuming? No, because you're not. So if you ask yourself if you're addicted to something, there's a kernel of something there. And that's when it's good to uh, go go and figure things out. Before you uh, go. Before they get out of hand. Do you think everybody has some sort of addiction? Because I think everybody has it in some way, shape, or form. It's just there's healthy addictions or... Yeah, I, uh, well, I mean, you could... It, it's a matter of our habits addictions. Well, that's true, you know? too. That's and a what's a bad habit versus a good habit? What is compulsion? I even think when we talk about addiction, I think there's a level above that I didn't reach. That's when you're like, uh, you know, you're, you're like Nicolas Cage in Leaving Las Vegas, where yeah. if you don't have this stuff, you will actually die. But if we keep giving you this stuff, you're going you're to die. die. Too, yeah. That's a, that's the level of addiction I never knew. But I think that's even that's that's above mentally addicted. That's you know physically dependent. Yeah. Um, and so it's really splitting hairs between these things. And you know, 
I look at something like people who are addicted to here in Maine, we've got all of these, uh, especially this time of year, uh, towards the end of, of uh, winter, we've got all of these cliffs with the most amazing ice on them. And people love going and climbing these ice cliffs in Maine. But when and, and these people are dedicated to this lifestyle and you cannot say they're not addicted to the adrenaline. Yeah. They're not addicted to the rush. But how do these how do the documentaries about them always end? Well, Bob died doing what he loved best. <laughs> so did his That's addiction true. lead him to death? Eh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. So we just have to watch our uh, we have to watch our compulsive behaviors. Right. That's really what it is. Whether you think it's good or bad, just because it's not, uh, you know, uh, uh, meth or heroin, just because, you know, it's not something you've assigned to traditional uh, addiction doesn't mean that the same chemistry can't be happening in your head. And if it is, get some help because addiction does not end well unless you get into recovery. Usually it ends up with you, you know, in, in physical issue with physical issues, Mm -hmm. it ends up destroying relationships. It could end up with legal issues, um, or it can end up in recovery Mm -hmm. and thank God I went the recovery route. So if people check out P addict recovery, they can read, I, I post a couple articles a month, uh, lost stuff there. If they want to know more about the coaching I do, I coach both porn addicts and those with, uh, trauma from pornography, whether it's betrayal trauma from a partner using or themselves, you can learn all about it there. Um, pedictrecovery.com. All right. Well, you know, thank you for doing this work because I think it's really important and there's not enough people doing it. And thank you for taking some time to, to talk to us about it. Thanks so much for having me today, Jason. I appreciate it. As always, thank you for listening. If you're a fan of the show, please take a minute and subscribe to the podcast and let your friends know. Again, the With Jay Burke Show is available wherever you stream your current podcast. Look forward to seeing you again in the future.